and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Hi everyone and welcome to another one of our live Q&As. I'm thrilled this morning to be joined by Jessica Hanna. Hi Jessica. Hello. So Jessica and I met about, I'm, I'm like, this is scary to admit, probably about 15 or 16 years ago now, um, when I was riding a lady's horses um, throughout university, and Jessica also came to ride some of those horses, and you were at school, and I was at uni. And now Jessica's just finishing her master's, and I don't know, I'm, just, I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, so, um, Jessica, tell us a little bit about yourself and a bit about the journey that you've been on and the learning that you've done to bring you to where you are today. Um, so I've always been keen on horses, and I decided to follow the academic route of um, my journey with horses. So I studied a BSc in equine science. And I've just finished my MSc in equitation science because I think it's quite important to uh, be quite ethical when you do stuff with horses. Um, And it was actually whilst I was at uni that I got my first horse and I actually bought him with my student loan because I really wanted my own horse. And now I'm a yard manager of ex-performance horses. So that's interesting, making them safe for novices um yeah so tell us then what it was that meant that you went down the academic route um with horses rather than the becoming a rider or a groom what what was it that meant you were interested in that element of it um so I worked on a yard whilst I was at sixth form and it was just taking um people out on like western treks um and in the nicest possible way I knew I could do more with horses so I wanted to push myself and see if you know I can get to the top level um sort of working with horses and being able to run stuff how I would like because it's difficult when you work at a yard and they do stuff that you don't necessarily agree with um and where I didn't necessarily know much about horses I was just keen to learn about them and especially in sixth form when you get pressured to go to uni, um, initially I signed up to do criminology and two weeks before the university deadline, I said, nope, I wanna go to a agricultural uni and study horses, which was a big palaver, but we got there and I'm so glad I decided to go down the horse route. And I love that. I love the fact that this is what I keep talking about at the moment, this this knowing, this thing inside you that knows what's really right for you, what 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 it is, what it's really about for you, you know, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. This little voice that we are so good at not listening to that goes, no, yeah. you don't want to do that, do you? Everyone else says you want to do that, but you don't really want to do that. And it's so lovely to hear that actually you did listen to that voice and you went, you know, this might be a really tough decision and it might not be the easiest journey and it may not be what everyone else wants me to do but actually I want to go and study equine studies like that's what I want to do and I think it's amazing you do because clearly it's your passion I mean you've gone on to your master's so you must have loved it (laughs) and um what is it that you enjoy about your master's and and having done the academic side of things what have you really enjoyed um I think the main thing has just been learning about all the different methods and like say practice it uh practices 
um, because I've certainly learned that you can pick and choose what you like from different methods and practices. And say when you do train in with horses, it's not one method fit. Being able to just learn how individual like a horse can be, and obviously having all this knowledge where, in essence, I can do a tailor-made plan for a horse, and I can see that, say, with my work horses and with my own horse, how, you know, doing like tailor-made packages essentially for your horse that suits that horse, and yeah, it's just been really, really fun trying to figure out the best practice for horses really <laughs> and I think that's so key isn't it that there isn't one size fits all I mean horses for courses is is so true isn't it that actually they have individual needs just like humans not everyone wants to wear the same clothes live in the same place do the same thing you know and it's the same with with horses <laughs> literally sometimes not everyone wants to wear the same rug but you know um so I think um, this idea that if everyone could embrace this idea of just learning loads of different stuff and then picking the bits that you need for that horse out of that wealth of knowledge is just so key, isn't it? To yeah. having the best, happiest, most successful partnership. Yeah. Cool. And so tell us then a little bit about this concept of equine ethology. Ethology, yeah. that's the right way of saying it, is it? What is, what is equine ethology? Sounds so like mythology, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it's like scary science where they're like, oh. <laughs> um, but the definition of it is um, the study of horses in a free-ranging context. So a lot of ethological studies are based on wild horses. But as most people know, we don't necessarily own wild horses. But I don't think it's spoken about enough what influences the modern domestic horse because we put horses in situations that say if they were free roman they would never ever be in a stable they would never ever be in a like a fenced off paddock so we do a lot of stuff that will impact like the horse's behavior their biology um so it the influences but there's just so much. And once you start thinking about it, you kind of are able to see in your own methods what you need to do to make your horse a bit happier. Um, so I like to talk about how to make a happy horse because that's just something everyone can understand, um, really. And this concept then, you know, the, the one of the things that gets banded around is this word natural horsemanship, isn't it? And and I, I just think, what a load of nonsense. Nothing we do is natural with horses. Natural horsemanship is watching them in a herd, of which around the world there are very few truly natural herds of horses, actually, are there? Yeah. Because even where we see um, herds in the wild, they're still not actually wild. Like, you know, for instance, New Forest Ponies aren't still they're not still wild they're still herded in they're still looked after in some way they're still they're not truly wild yes. they're also kind of kept within a certain area they're not truly free roaming either yeah. but anyway so the concept of natural horsemanship so there, there isn't any it's just to me it's horsemanship right yeah. it's about looking after exactly what you say you're happy horse now people have just heard you say oh it's about the study of horses in the wild it's about the study of horses free roaming that kind of thing and they go well that's nonsense just like you said because we don't keep them that way so how how is it that studying horses in an environment that we don't in any way keep them can help us to keep them in stabling and paddocks and riding, which isn't natural anyway, yeah. asking their bodies to do things that actually wouldn't normally happen and still have a happy athlete, still have a happy horse and a happy partnership as well? How on earth do you bring that in? 
So, um, so say uh, with horses, and say you're trying to make a happy horse, the horse hasn't actually changed over thousands of years. Um, the digestive system is still the same. And obviously, in recent years, you've definitely heard um, people say you need to uh, trickle feeders, you need to give them X amount of hay. And obviously, um, more studies have come out, say the impact of like using hay nets on the neck. And obviously, people say in feeding from the floor is the best way. And obviously, the main thing with horses that we all know is they can speak. So they've still got that fight flight instinct. And um, where a horse is so big, if you don't respect that, you're going to put yourself in such a dangerous situation. Um, and say when a horse does bolt and you do become detached from a horse, it is actually quite scary for some horses when they lose their rider. Whereas obviously some horses don't mind and they start eating, but some horses will just run and try and run home. Um, so that's, I think the issue with like natural horsemanship is it sounds great, but when you really look into it, it doesn't respect the natural processes of a horse. Cool. Okay. So there's obviously husbandry things like the way we care for a horse and things like that. But then there's also the training element as well, isn't there, of how we really we need to almost think like a horse yeah. to to really help to train them. So tell us a little bit more about your experience of that. And I think you said you had eight points or something, or maybe that wasn't to do with training, but you've, you've got yeah. points that you you kind of use as your keystones to what you do. Yeah. So if we, the first the first point is say like the re, uh, learning processes and ability of a horse. So at the moment, um, we've had a, I think he's three month old foal now. Um, and he's a big cult, he's big for three months. But where he is a foal, I can't overdo his handling training or anything because he's a foal. He doesn't necessarily understand. So you've got to break that down and be respectful to the foal and it's same with like uh, older older horses and say you like training a grand prix horse that takes minimum of five years so horses do learn slowly and it's little and often that you need to do and obviously just be patient and i think that's the biggest thing that people don't have with horses is patience everyone wants a quick quick fix um, and you can't really do that with horses I'm afraid <laughs> and you can see why you know a lot of leisure riders um I mean yes obviously there are professionals out there that want a quick fix but that's normally because they need to turn around a buck you know they need they need the money and things like that um but a lot of leisure riders you know spend a lot of time a lot of effort a lot of energy earning the money to spend on these creatures that we adore we're passionate yeah and then we want to kind of get the recognition the reward the achievement the progress from that so it's really common in the leisure industry to want a quick fix. And if there's a product or a bit or a saddle or a piece of tack or a, a training method or something that will get us there quicker, then yeah. people are, are well up for it, aren't they? Because actually that's what they're that's what they're striving for. Have you what have you noticed about that kind of mindset within within equines and within, you know, training and, and what you've been studying? Yeah. Um so Say when you get these uh, horsemen that come to town and they're looking for horses to use in their demonstrations and you think, wow, this like guy's amazing. He's managed to get this horse that doesn't load like into the trailer. Um, and there's this one girl I know, she's got like the cutest little uh, Dunley Forest pony, but she went to one of these demonstrations and granted he got the horse in the trailer, but 
the consequences and the impact afterwards, the horse will not load. And this, bless, bless this girl, but apparently she has quite a traumatic time trying to load this horse now. Um, and it's just, it's just sad how these techniques get marketed and people want to believe them because everything starts with good intentions. They think they're doing the best for the horse, but um, they're not. And say one of the other influences on training is the human's knowledge and um, skills. And if you don't have like the knowledge to um, spot, say, horses' um, stress response, then how are you going to know you're not doing the right thing for your horse? Yeah, which brings us nicely onto something that we were having a little bit of a chat about earlier. So all those years back when we first met, um, it's a little bit cringy and embarrassing when you think about how little we knew back then. I mean, of course we didn't. That was like 15, 16 years ago. Of course, we're not going to know as much back then as we yeah. do now. We've had all that time to learn it. But when we think about some of the things we were doing, some of the training methods we were involved in, some of the things we've been told to do, all that kind of thing. It's very often your knowledge and your skills is influenced by the access to the information you've got around you and the people you've got around you and, you know, that as well. And we were having a great chat about who influences you and, and how that works. Tell, tell us about your experiences um, of exactly what you said. You only know what you know with the knowledge and skills you've got at the time and the people around you and the beliefs around you and all these things. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that because it's I just love hearing this. <laughs> So say when I was younger, I learned this uh, 13 hand pony called Henry. And at the time when I started learning him, he was like 21, 22. And just <laughs> thinking the stuff I used to do with him, obviously thinking I was some pro jumper, let me put some jump poles up. And I definitely didn't know about strides, but you know, you would just put, put a couple of poles out, hope for the best. Um, and it's just funny as you get older and say when you realize how uh, some horses aren't quite tolerant when you're just flapping about kicking them, <laughs> kicking them. Um, but no, it is. Uh, I just laugh. I just laugh at what I used to do with horses, especially when I was a kid. Like just thinking it was so, thinking it was okay just to jump on the horse bareback and um, obviously dressing Henry up in God knows what. But he was good as gold, bless him. So. And a lot of that, though, is the influence of the people around us as well, isn't it? Because there's probably nothing wrong in sort of doing some of that stuff. I do, you certainly weren't harming him. I remember Henry's gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but the the people that we're surrounded by and the yards that we're on and the knowledge that they've got and sometimes their ability to push that knowledge upon us even if we you know that knowing we were talking about we think yeah. that's not quite right for us so you know what how you should rug them how you should care for them what you should feed them on which supplement they should be in, whether your tax right or not you know this kind of stuff this yard culture yeah. um we were talking earlier about how that really can affect the way you keep your horse what have you what what in your opinion is the effects of yard culture on on horse husbandry and things like that as well um so one of the depending what yard you're on you could be on a yard say where all the horses are rugged at night and uh, especially for me I was on a yard where I have a little Irish cob uh, and I mean he never wears a rug because he doesn't need to he's quite happy he's still fat during the winter um so I always felt pressured to put a rug on him and thankfully he would destroy these stable rugs so I just said to people I don't bother rugging him 
um, because he just destroys the rugs. But the real reason was because I didn't want to rug my horse, but I felt pressure to, um, especially when people are like, oh, you should clip your horse. And it's like, but I don't need to clip my horse. He's happy how he is. And say during the winter, when I do go riding, it's not like I'm bombing him across the forest. He's not getting particularly sweaty. So I think if you do like have a native horse, you should be respectful of uh, the rugs they do wear because as um, humans, we feel the cold a lot more than a horse does. Um, and I believe it's between zero and 25 degrees is the horse's optimal temperature. And especially during the spring, when you know you get those couple of sunny days and you think you can get away leaving like your medium weight rug on the horse. But um, and then you get to the horse and you're just there like, oh my goodness, you've sweated so much. And the horse is made to store fat. And especially this time of year, that's when, um, uh, da -da -da -da, going back to say like the horse's biological processes, it is normal for a horse to put on more weight, drop the weight, put on the weight again and drop the weight. Um, so it's just being mindful of, say, what the horse's body processes are. Um, and then, say, on some yards, obviously some yards only bed on straw, and that's for cost-wise. But say if you have a horse, even if you spray all kinds of stuff on the straw, he still eats the straw. I don't want to be on a yard that um, I have to use straw kind of thing. So it's just finding a yard that is suitable for you and your horse, but that is easier said than done. And I think that's why people do put up being pressured into practices they don't necessarily want to do because it is kind of difficult to find a yard that suits you and your horse perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. I've always said it's easier to buy a house than it is to find a yard. Um, and in fact, when we moved up to Surrey from Dorset, which is where you and I met, when we moved up to Surrey, we found the yard first and then found a house near it. Because yeah. <laughs> actually, didn't know the area. It was far harder to find a good yard than it was a house. Well, in that, in that point, it was a flat that we were renting. But yeah. OK, so we've had two of your points, I think, two of your eight points, which are learning process and ability, yeah. human knowledge and skills. What are some of the other points then that you're kind of principal things? So horse's temperament, I think this is a big one that is overlooked a lot um, because each horse has a different temperament. Each horse has a different uh, tolerance threshold. Uh, and that, and it's so easy. For example, this, um, there's this group online and obviously people have given nicknames to what a chestnut naughty horse is called and what a uh, patchy naughty horse is called. So obviously we take the mick out of like horses being naughty but if we get down to it and if you ask an owner what is your horse's temperament like and they've had that horse for a significant time they'll be able to give you a detailed description of what their horse's temperament is like because they know what it is um, and I think that's like a problem when horses do get sent away is owners aren't necessarily um, honest about like the horse's temperament and how it could be during the training Okay, cool. So, and oh, this is always an interesting one, isn't it? Temperament and personality in a horse. How do we distinguish between temperament and anthropomorphism, which is um, thinking of them like humans and saying, oh, you know, they are, there's definitely some emotions horses can feel. Um, I think that jealousy is perhaps not the right word, but I definitely think that they will, they will resource guard, um, which yeah. can look like jealousy. 
Um, they they definitely can tell us when they want us to bog off and things like that. But they don't have the logical reasoning of, um, you know, oh, I think I'm going to be an ass today um, because I don't like you. You know, like that that that's where it it draws the line. So tell us about your your understanding and and from your expertise. I mean, I'm just talking about what I've spoken to lots of people about over the years of the difference between anthropomorphizing and, and giving them human characteristics and actual temperament and, and personality in a horse. Yeah. Um, so where to begin, where to begin. So when uh, bear with me, let me just think of my response. So when we talk about like a horse's temperament, it will be say its willingness to like try. Um, and then the problem with anthropomorphism is it can be a great way to get, say, leisure horse riders who don't necessarily know science lingo to understand the point we're trying to make. Uh, and this is why I say uh, using the happy horse, the influences on a happy horse can help explain to someone who doesn't have a lot of knowledge and skills what the horse like will be feeling. Um, but there are science uh, studies that have said horses are sentient so they do they do feel like emotions and obviously they know when we're happy when we're angry when we're fearful um, and say horses reasoning if a horse put two and two together say when we put a bit in its mouth and if it put two and two together that the rider is causing pain through like the bit then they would stop us um, riding them so I don't think horses have a, a lot of reasoning in that sense. And it's just more we try and explain horses' behaviour in a way that makes sense to us. Hi, everyone, and welcome. So this is um, not the normal time that we would be doing a live. Um, but Jess had some internet problems last time and we lost her. So um, pleased to welcome back for part two, uh, Jessica Hanna. And uh, we were talking about the equine ethology and um, we'd got, we'd covered some really interesting points and all of this will be pieced back together um, into one seamless broadcast at some point in time. <laughs> um, so we're gonna pick up where we left off. So we were talking just about, um, you know, the temperament of the horse being one of the eight success factors. Um, might actually, before we launch straight into temperament, why don't you tell us a little bit about these eight factors and, and where they come from and why you like to use those when it comes to a happy, successful partnership? Um, so personally, for me, I, I like to be quite logical with the horse and say with equitation science, um, I can be logical with the horse and um, say work with horses in a pretty safe way. Um, so the influences of training, which um, Andrew McLean also thinks is uh, Andrew McLean, uh uses these eight uh influences in his book called equitation science um and that's learning process and ability because horses take quite long to learn so we need to have so much patience for them to understand anything human human uh, knowledge horses confirmation human biomechanics and balance and I can't remember the other ones, Jenny. 
that I was speaking about. <laughs> Don't worry, they'll come back. So we're just going to recap. So we've already talked about in our previous live where we got you before you started to disappear. We were talking about the learning processes and the ability and talking about how we need to do things little and often. Yeah, we did discuss human knowledge and skills and like you don't know what you don't know and you can only do the best with what you do know. That's cool. <clears throat> Temperament of the horse and willingness to try is something that we wanted to just touch on some more before we go on to the next one. Yeah. So if you talk us through that, it'll come. It'll come back to you. It's absolutely fine, I promise. We'll, we'll get back into flow and it'll all be, all be good again. <laughs> Perfect. So with the horse's temperament, this is where you can speak about uh, more about a horse's personality. Um, because obviously some horses are more sensitive than others. And how you ride one is not necessarily how you will ride your own. So it's quite important that we learn to adapt. Um, so we don't create a stressful situation. So if you do have a sensitive horse, you're not going to ride it in spurs, for example. Um, and it's quite important to know when to uh, let your horse have a break and relax, um, because obviously that will also aid in successful training. Okay, cool. So um, the willingness to try then, what's that? What's that all about? How do we know how willing to try our horse is? Uh, so it's to do, uh, say, with like motivation. So what motivates your horse? Um, most horses are quite food orientated, but you do get the odd one which just loves their owner and just wants to be around them. Um, so the willingness is literally just how willing the horse is to um, do his try and trial and error process of learning so what about things like when they're not willing because they are either in pain or they're not willing because they don't understand or um, because they think they're gonna be so maybe the previously they were in pain how can we how can we determine the difference between a horse that is willing to learn and give things a go and actually a horse that's having difficulty at that point or or has got some issues perhaps underlying yep so uh, before you do anything with horses, you should really do like a health check and make sure there is no underlying issues. And then say if you are experiencing conflict behaviour, um, you do need to uh, look at yourself and see if possibly you're not asking the horse correctly or asking, uh, asking in a way that the horse understands. Because say when a horse does have conflict behaviour, he is trying to tell us something and he's just trying to tell us the only way he knows how, which is horse-like ninja moves, I suppose. <laughs> okay, and so what would you call conflict behaviour then? How do you know when your horse is conflict behaviour? Because I mean, there's obvious conflict behaviour, like kicking and biting, bucking and rearing. But then there's the less obvious as well, isn't it? Yeah, so um, say, say if you are heavy-handed in your reins, or maybe you're riding a horse, that you have to ride into a contact rather than, you know, just wiggle the reins and he'll hold his head for you. So a conflict behavior there might be, um, he's like shaking his head slightly, um, or he'll be quite tense where obviously he's not carrying himself the way he wants to. Um, and say, going canter transitions are a good one. Some horses, if you're not sat in the, right place then they will throw in a cheeky bark and be and ask you politely to uh sit properly i suppose <laughs> okay cool so it's but it's, so it sounds to me it's like a little bit like you need to know what's normal for your horse to yeah. know what what isn't 
yeah and that's uh that's the advantage we have is uh as owners is we do know our horses uh well we'll know them better than a vet does so say if the vet comes over and you can see that your horse is getting slightly stressed out um then you can give him a wither scratch um or you can give him like some treats to make a positive sort of experience if he's feeling uh, nervous or anxious. Okay, cool. So <clears throat> these are all things that we are talking about in order to have a happy and successful partnership. So um, yeah. this is how to have a happy horse is, is what we're discussing. Yeah. And so why, why is it really important that you know this stuff in order to have a happy horse? Well, the main thing is the way we manage horses we are responsible uh for for their welfare so the least well what uh, most people should do is um just try and create the least stressful sort of environment for the horse and um if you compete your horse ha having a happy horse means he'll uh, jump anything for you really yeah okay which brings us beautifully on then to equine health and soundness because it's not all about having a happy horse is it they could be you know well there aren't many actually that are that happy but are unsound or not very healthy but they are very good at disguising it aren't they and so yeah, tell us a yeah. little bit about what you mean by health and soundness and also why why is it that the horses disguise stuff the way they do like why would they do that that sounds crazy but they do don't they yeah so horses are very good at trying to hide um, any pain or discomfort. And this just goes back down to like evolution when they had um, predators chasing them and stuff. And no one wants to be seen as the weak one in the herd. Um, so the equine health and soundness, like happy, happy hoof, happy horse, your horse has to sort of like have good feet. And this is where, um, say, sort of diet uh comes into it and say seasonal changes um i know quite a lot of people who don't necessarily change the amount they feed their horse uh in the autumn and that's when say like the wild ponies for example uh they tend to put more weight on and the thick coats come through and uh i've completely messed that bit up that's all right just chat to us anyway it's cool it's fine yeah. just chat away so if we, because our horses aren't affected by seasons the way they used to be, because they are now kept in paddocks rather than roaming around. Yeah, and we do yeah. um, do a lot of thermal uh, regulating with like rugs and clipping. Um, and obviously it's easier for a horse to warm up than it is to cool down. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just us as owners and sort of handlers to just be, um responsible that's cool okay and uh, you know we can only do what we know can't we so you've only got the knowledge that you've got and yeah. if you're listening to this and thinking or watching and thinking yeah no all this stuff this is cool then that's great tick it off are we doing it is there a bit that there's a red flag is it all right if you're thinking oh that's different i haven't really heard of that or oh no that's not what you know i learned what would you say to people because there's a lot of well that's how it's always been so it must be correct kind of thinking in the horse world sometimes isn't it what would yeah. you kind of say to people that are a bit like well that's not in the manual but actually we now know to be true 
Yeah, I think um, it's quite important to remember, say like horse riding, it is quite traditional. You will always get those hardcore uh, people who were like, well, I, this is what I did like 40 years ago, um, which, yeah, might have worked for them. But there's nothing wrong with just the way like the horse evolved for us to evolve the way we do stuff with horses um, and say people who aren't on side with science like uh, da, da, da. I think this brings us really nicely onto the fact we're always learning though doesn't it and a lot of the people that say oh well you know I did that 40 years ago and this that and the other it's simply that they haven't updated their knowledge either because they didn't think that they needed to or because they know it so why would they need to update it but the thing about learning is that we're always doing it, isn't it and sometimes we even have to question the stuff that we think it's true and is right and just go what is that do i need to check in on that is there something else has anything come along more recently you know contrary to what we thought is it now different? let's take feeding for instance you know typical one isn't it like don't feed before you ride well okay they were talking about hard feed weren't they straight but you know it's a feeding rule whereas now actually it's for ulcer prone horses or for any horse really get fiber in its stomach before you ride stop the acid slushing around it's a much better thing but they're two completely contradictory things aren't they yeah. So, you know, what would you say about this idea of updating your learning or learning? And, and what have you enjoyed about learning this much about horses and not just kind of reading the manual and thinking that must be the answer? Um, <laughs> so the, the best way I can sort of explain it is um, I recently acquired a foal. Uh, the place I work, the lady decided to have a foal and it came way sooner than we had planned um and say the equitation science side of things even though i don't know what i'm doing with this foal i think i've done a pretty good job at um producing like a little gentleman really um and he is a quite a big cult and obviously because he's still a baby we have our good moments and we have our bad moments but thankfully we're having more good bad so it's just finding what you're comfortable doing and being confident in it in it enough that say if people don't agree with you it doesn't matter because you know what you're doing is right and um, you know that the horse isn't in distress cool okay so they have got to be happy and sound and healthy i mean that's that's kind of a given really isn't it there's no real surprise that in the happy horse partnership um happy hound and self um happy hound and selfie that's brilliant isn't it happy sound and healthy is the important part of it you could say the same with the humans really couldn't you you know we need to be healthy sound like you know not crippled or anything as much as possible although quite frankly actually if there's things wrong with our body we can still ride as well that's the wonderful thing about it um but um you know like healthy and sound is quite important really isn't it yeah okay so that's four we've gone through now what are some of the other points then of a happy healthy relationship and, and how we can use that to make ourselves as successful as possible in this sport hobby whatever you want to call it partnership whatever it's about for you. Um, ba -ba -ba -ba. Well, let's talk about training environment um, so if you think about it in a way that when you are with a horse, you are both in close physical and psychological proximity. And because of that, it can be quite intense um, 
experience for the horse. So this comes back to, um, you know, being being able to tell when your horse uh, needs a break and say if he's not understanding uh, what you're asking him, can you simplify that even further and break it down further for him to have a chance to understand and uh, for him to... Oh, what's the word? Can't think of it now, but it will come to me. Um, so there's this concept again then of break it down. So if you don't understand it, don't just stand looking at it, break it down, work out what the pieces that might be missing. Then you might you might find the key to it in, in breaking that down and, and making it easier, smaller chunks to digest. Yeah. Cool. Same with human learning, really, to be fair. Yeah, pre pretty much the same with human learning. <laughs> cool. Okay. So what do you mean by the training environment itself then, the environmental element of it? Because most of us, when you say training environment, most of us think of a school, an arena, or a field, maybe a ramp and whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. so I think it's just where I've done the equitation science that I'll call any interaction with a horse uh, training because every time you are with your horse, your horse is learning something. Um, and it's quite important, say, when you are working with your horse that you do create this sort of um, positive association because say every time you ride a horse and uh, you kick it really hard with spurs and you use the whip at some point the horse is not going to want to be ridden um, and yeah it's just being aware, aware of the horse's emotions really and although say research is lacking into like the horse's mind but, but we do know horses are sentient um and i think that's enough for for us to sort of respect the horse you know and i love the fact that we talk about the horses as sentient beings um but if i have people say well, what does sentient even mean like how can you say it's a sentient being? what does that mean so what, what's your take on what a sentient being is uh they can feel pain and pleasure um and I know for a fact my horse knows when I'm upset or say if I if I'm annoyed then he's a very good boy. <laughs> yeah, they definitely do. And I think that's part of why we love them, isn't it? Because they do pick up on what's going on for us and, and they'll either mirror it back to us or they'll take it in one or the other way. And they're just fabulous. Okay. Cool. So we've got the training environment. What other aspects? So we're on five, so we've got three left to go now of things that we can consider and take into account when it comes to um, a happy, healthy, successful partnership. Have we talked about rider biomechanics and balance? No, we have not actually, interestingly enough. We've not, that's so important. And in fact, an entire podcast and uh, Q&A was done on this and many more will come as well. So the rider biomechanics and balance. Let's talk about why that's important, shall we? <laughs> Um, so say when when we are riding, riding's not necessarily a natural thing for the horse. So it's quite important for us if we're on top that we are balanced. And if you've ever been unfortunate enough to be on a horse who has taken a big trip in the arena and fallen flat on your face, then you will know how important balance is. Um, but that what about how? how much the rider influences. So if we think about what riding is, riding is us influencing the horse to get the desired outcome. It might not always get the desired outcome, but that's the aim of it, isn't it? So what about um, 
this concept of the rider being balanced and the, and the way that the mechanics of the rider's body is influencing the horse for better or for worse. Yeah. So if you think of uh, a rider as some something constantly applying pressure and taking away pressure to the horse, um, and if you think about it as um, like a piece of, you know, when they say uh, when you're learning to ride, you're carrying like a water tray. So obviously, if you aren't balanced enough, you're going to spill this water tray. Um, and especially when we are asking our horses um, transitions and you are riding a more sensitive um, horse, then you need to know what you're doing with your body so you can um, ask the horse clearly uh, what school movement or asking him to change transitions. So what about the situations where you've got a green horse and a rider that obviously doesn't know what they don't know? So they might not be a green rider, they might not be a particularly novice rider, but they, they don't know how to ask that of their horse. What In that situation, what kind of is the stuff that can go well and what's the stuff that can potentially go, go wrong? Um, so I don't know. I say people having green horses, it's... Um, it's a very opinionated topic, I think, but I don't see anything wrong. Say if you do have a horse and you're not sure what to do, uh, then just do stuff with it and walk. Like you don't need to try and get him to canter straight away, especially if he's a green horse. Just go back to basics um, again. And the the more you ride your horse and the more you sort of do training with him, you'll get to know him a bit more and then you'll be able to... Um, I can't think. It's fine. Don't worry. We'll have days like this. It's perfectly all right. It's fine. So the more you get to know your horse, the more you're going to be able to help him understand. You need to be able to break it down um, and, and just learn together then, basically, as long as it's not dangerous in that partnership. Yeah. I and mean, say so if you don't uh, particularly know like a horse well or if it is like a young horse, I think it's quite important to just focus on like having a positive experience in um, those cases. And then obviously once you get more like uh, comfortable in each other's company, then obviously you can go ahead and do more. But there's just no need to rush when you're training horses. And quite frankly, as we all know, if we're ever on a time frame, they'll use it all up and more. So not having time for anything. OK, cool. So we've got two more left to go. So we've done. Rider biomechanics and balance, the training environment, equine health and soundness, I can say it that time, temperament um, of the horse, human knowledge and skills, and the learning processes and ability. And just while you're thinking of what the final two are, we're, we're remembering as well that this is all a, a study of ethology, which actually is, although it's a study of the horses in the world, it's very, very relevant still to our ability to get the best out of our horse and a happy, successful partnership with our horse even though they're not those wild beings anymore. Yeah, they're, they're still a horse. Um, and regardless, say, what what opinions and definitions people have in horse training, the fact is a horse is still a horse and it's been a horse for however many years. Um, so to just to be able to um, to be able... Fine. To be able to 
understand the horse in the world? Helps us bring it into training or not? <laughs> Probably not what you were saying. At all. Being able to understand how a horse is a horse yeah. allows us to uh, put it in situations without causing too much stress. For example, stabling a horse. We all know stabling a horse isn't good, but do the horses like really mind it? Well, the ones that obviously crib bite and we even show you they don't like being in the stable, they will let you know. But um, horses do cope with the way we manage them. So just but it brings the question of just because we can manage them that way, should we? Yeah, definitely. I have to say, having seen a video of mine, and he frequently does this, it's not just a video of him the other day. Um, mine loves snoozing in his stable. He will lie flat on his back and snore. Well, not on his back, obviously, on his side. Snore happily. You know, the video of him the other day, he was laid down really happy, pulled all his hay to his belly, basically, and was eating it, like, perfectly chilled out. No problem whatsoever. So they definitely do adapt, don't they? And as long as there's no problem there or an issue that they feel, they can feel perfectly happy and safe in that environment. Yeah. Cool. And, um, okay. Yeah. Next okay. Point seven out of eight. We're nearly. We're nearly there now. We've nearly done all eight points. Uh, so horses' history. Ah, there we go. Beautifully, actually, we could have segued so wonderfully into that. Then, where you know, talking about stabling, and if they haven't known any different, then you know, if it's all been a positive experience, why not? So yeah, horses' history. Come on. So the. Me <sighs> The main thing with horses history is that horses do retain bad memories. Um, and if you do have a bad experience, for example, say you have a horse that has an accident in a trailer um, and now he's scared to get in a trailer because he rem remembers that um, traumatic time. Um, so once again, this is where like the handler or rider has to adapt themselves to the horse and figure out if the horse is um if the horse is um experiencing like bad bad memories or anything but a horse's history can just impact a horse so much and the sad reality is when you get a horse and you don't know its history you might not even know that he's had a bad experience until you're involved in an accident you know so how do you think you can work with that so obviously you don't and most of the time most people don't know a horse's full history even yeah. if they've got a bit of one it's not necessarily the truth or it doesn't necessarily go back that far very very few people know from a foal at weaning and that really crucial part of their lives that's for certain yeah so like how so we're not necessarily going to know their history so how do we kind of work with that then to to understand it or to use it to our advantage or to you know be aware of it yeah, I mean, the most easiest sort of way to figure out if, like, your horse um, has got any underlying um, bad memories is to just go about your normal day um, and just be quite conscious. Say if it's, like, a new horse, you just put the head collar on, like, nice and slow, and you just find out if they're head shy. But with horses, it is a is a um a case of sort of experimenting and finding out what you can with your own investigations um and then just dealing with it when the horse displays something yeah, it sounds like going back to the training environment it sounds like going back to breaking things down understanding your horse and all of that as well 
So this, these aren't standalone eight points. They're interlinked completely, aren't they? Yeah. And, um, and this like goes back to, say, the picking and choosing of... Um, the picking and choosing what you want to do, say, with your own sort of like best practice with you and your horse, where everything is interlinked, you can just... Yeah, it, it doesn't matter if you change one small thing because it won't impact the rest too um won't impact the rest too much because where they're all interlinked as long as they're all sort of there you can do you can do your own methods for it yeah so you don't have to just follow one thing you can pick and choose and as long as you're not confusing the horse of course yeah. cool okay so then what is the last one of these eight let's do that last one for now and then um, then we've done all eight of them we can wrap it up i've got one question for you that came in last time which i promised i would get answered this time as well so what is the last one of the eight it was horses confirmation um and the, and the thing say with my confirmation it just comes back to is the horse fit for purpose because every horse can um, go and do something but it might not be a job that for one person no said that wrong that's all right so every horse can do things but because of their confirmation they may not necessarily be able to do the job that that person intends them to do yeah so my understanding of this is if a horse is very thick set in its neck for instance it will find it very hard to really come into a big collection and bring its head up and in because it's very thick set, it won't be able to breathe. I know this because I have a friend with beautiful Connemara that is having exactly this problem right now. He's never going to be able to have that really up and, and together frame from a, a head and neck perspective because he's got he's a really thick set neck. And that's not because they've trained him with the wrong muscles. That's just the way he's come out. Very short neck, very big head. And if he brings his head into that highly collected point, he's going to struggle to breathe. Yeah, um, and say like talking about the fit for purpose, if you take in uh, breeds into consideration, there's, there's some breeds you wouldn't use for eventing. Uh, I mean, as much as I would enjoy seeing a Clydesdale do eventing, I don't think <laughs> it would be right for its body. Uh, absolutely. I think the funniest thing is if a Clydesdale went eventing, the ground would shake so much. In fact, I do know a Shire, a Shire Cross that goes eventing, and you hear him no matter where he is on the course because his hooves are so big. <laughs> cool, superb. Okay, so that was eight points that we need to consider. Let me read this question to you and see what you think. I had it here ready. Right, I've acquired a very interesting 14-hand pony from the Travellers. She's a fine bone job, not a cob, but has a foal and apparently been down the road at 30 mile an hour or has had a foal. And she's four years old. Her physical development is an ongoing process, but it's going the right way. But her mind is very messed up in that she doesn't know boundaries, is confused by dominance with me. She wants attention, but I can't but can't let herself do it. It's all very odd. She also exhibits very odd behavior in a stable, basically leans against the walls as she walks around. Not anxious but about being in the stable, but something truly odd. I think some help from a behaviour person would be very helpful in her retraining. Any thoughts? Well, that sounded all quite interesting, didn't it? Um, but can you just repeat to me 
the bit before before the her rubbing herself in the stable what was she saying okay so she's a 14 hand pony that's been acquired she's fine bones she's not cobby she's had a pole she's she's four she's had a foal sorry she's four years old and she's been down the road at 30 mile an hour so she's obviously a trotter her physical development is an ongoing process but her mind is messed up in that she doesn't know boundaries and is confused by dominance from her owner um she wants attention but she almost can't let herself do it and she and then there's the stable behavior is leaning leaning yeah um the well the first thing i would say is you can't think of it like as dominance if you think yourself as like a leader and for example um i've i've had quite a journey with this little fault in installing boundaries because he does not have fault friends the he has no other mares to tell him off so I've had to take it upon myself um and basically what I've done um so say if we are going in and out from the in in and out from the field and say if she is bargy out of the stable if you do backing up with her um, and getting her to like sort of reverse that will that will help um, and and to be fair you can use that as a corrective uh, corrective a way to correct her behavior is getting her to take a couple of steps back um, the rubbing on the walls and stuff I mean does she does she have stable friends next to her can she see them I think this is the thing with any of these though isn't it is that I mean I asked you that question because it's an interesting thing but you've got to look at the whole picture like you say you've got to look at these eight elements here haven't you and know more about the situation and see the horse exhibiting it and know about her environment and understand more and there's always so much more to it isn't there than I've got this what do you suggest because there's no there's no black and white answer is there and to be fair the horse just sounds like it's you know its job was to be put in a trap charged down the road and probably then just chucked back out in the field so I wonder if she feels she's quite anxious being around people um and it might even be be an idea to get a chair and a book <laughs> and sit in the stable and keep yourself entertained so she just gets used to your company and sees that you aren't uh, one of these people that's just gonna chuck her in a trap and get her to bomb down the road um but there's always something you can do with horses and it may not necessarily be something that is like a traditional method uh but but who cares it, it's oh, just if it works yeah absolutely cool okay so i think some of the key themes that have definitely come out of this is that there's no right or wrong black or white answer yeah it's got to be read by the horse you've got to consider these eight elements and and think about them break them down there is almost always something to the jigsaw puzzle, but you've just got to start working out what the pieces are and how you can start to work with those pieces to, to create this happy, successful partnership. And if something's not working, consider any of these other elements that may or may not be correct. And, and, and if, if they all are, then, then if it's still not working, there's definitely one of them that is out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Jessica, for, um, <laughs> for taking part in part one and part two for bearing with the technical fun that we've had um 
And if people have questions or they want to get in touch with you or want to ask you anything, what's the best way that they can do that? Um, uh, I have an Instagram page and that's about all I have. <laughs> what's your Instagram page? So people can follow you and what you're up to. Uh, I believe, I'm just double checking now, all yeah. four, isn't it? That's right. Unless you go around telling people it, it's not something you particularly know, you just log in, it's there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it's just underscore horsepower. Mm -hmm. um, and for and for the ladies, say, who asked a question, it's so hard to get an answer when I don't know um, everything. So I've just tried to say quite... Yeah stuff that's not necessarily going to impact the horse too much but um that's exactly it isn't it and and if she wants to know more from you then she can get in touch with you that's absolutely fine yeah um and if anyone does want to ask any questions they can always ask us and we can forward them on to you and that that's all cool but it's not your profession in itself is it you know this isn't what you do day in day out it's what you've been learning what you've been studying what you enjoy and it was just lovely for you to come on and share some information with us it was great yeah Oh, thank you so much. Hope You're you enjoyed. Yeah, it was fascinating. I've made I've made lots of notes, which is really cool. So thank you so much, Jess, for coming on. Like I say, persevering and um, and giving us your your knowledge and your wisdom because there'll be something somewhere that someone finds really helpful and takes away and does something yeah. with it. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Bye bye. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us and we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye, everyone. Who got this? Who got this? You know